We're in our series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're shifting things a little bit. Today we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, but what we're doing is we're leaving the Beatitudes behind. And just because we're leaving them behind doesn't mean we forget them. We can't forget about the Beatitudes because there's a reason why Jesus gave the Beatitudes at the beginning of this teaching, at the beginning of this preaching session, is because they're foundational for everything else that he's going to teach. You have to have those in the right place in order for the rest of what he's going to teach to to make sense to us, that we can apply it to our life so that we can live it out. And so what, what, what I want you to do is I want you to realize that they're there for us, and that we don't just listen to the words of Jesus on the Beatitudes, but we take them and we apply them to our life so that we're prepped, we're ready to receive what God has for us through this message that Jesus is preaching. It's the most amazing message that you will ever read ever in the history of mankind. There isn't a greater message ever preached. There isn't a more powerful message that's ever been given. This one by Jesus tops it all, and that's why it's important for us to visit it often. As we get into the message this morning, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. As you hear this message from Jesus, he's essentially telling you that there is a better way to live life. There is a new way in which we can live life. After all, we all need help in living life here on this planet. We don't do it very well sometimes. We mess it up quite often. And so we need help. We need direction. We need something that's going to keep us on track. And so in light of that, you may have some thoughts about life that may not be true. There may be some things about life that you haven't really thought of. And so this morning what I want to do, I want to share some thoughts with you of things that you might not know. And I don't want to assume that, that you know them. So just in case, here's what they are. Um, if you don't know, life is hard. If you don't know, you're not that important. If you didn't know, your life is not about you. If you didn't know, you're not in control. That's a shock to some of you, I know. And... By the way, you're all going to die. Welcome to the happy message at Wind River Community Church. (laughs) You know, after all, what Jesus, the Bible tells us is that we were created out of dust, and then eventually we go back to dust. So we're dust to dust. We're nothing but dust. Lean to your neighbor and say you're nothing but dust. participation is a little bit low this morning. Um, I do want to say this because I'm almost 60, but I still think like a seventh grader. It's true. So um, when you leaned over, for those of you that leaned over and said something to your neighbor, you just called them butt dust. Just saying. All right. All right, uh, let's move on. Here's the reason why you need to know that life is hard and all these things aren't going to, it's not about you, you know, you don't get to do all this stuff and 
And it's, you're not the center of the universe. The reason you need to know that is because there's going to come a time and point when all of a sudden that hits you like a freight train and you realize that you have been lying to yourself and you are not the center of the universe and your life is going to explode and you're going to have a heart attack because you thought it was all about you. And you actually think that God owes you something just for you being you. God owes you nothing. Just the very simple fact that he has given you breath is enough for us to get up every morning and go, thank you, God, that I'm breathing yet another day. And so, um, you know, as before we move into these verses, you, you need to see that there are a bunch of people in this message. So you already know this because I've been telling you this for weeks, that there's a crowd of people and they're in proximity to Jesus. They're listening to what Jesus is saying, and that's all they're doing. And then there's the others, they're the disciples, and they're the ones that are literally sitting at Jesus' feet, taking notes and saying, oh, I get that, that's me, I need to apply that to my life, I am going to be that kind of a person. So we have two distinct uh, groups of people gathered around at the Sermon on the Mount, but who makes up those crowds? Who, who makes up the crowd who's in proximity and who makes up the disciples that are sitting at Jesus' feet? Well, those people, they're the, the men and the women that he have gathered around him. He's speaking to Gentiles and Jews, to the uneducated peasants and the educated Pharisees. He's talking to the rich and to the poor, to the sick and the healthy, to those who think they really are self-reliant spiritually, and those who know they need all the spiritual help and direction they can get. He's speaking to the first and to the last. He's speaking to the greatest and to the least. He is talking to this massive cross-section of society, and he's saying, here are the major points for bringing the kingdom of God from up there down here. And if you want to do that, Jesus is saying, and teaching, this is how you live in God's rule and in God's order. Essentially, that's what the Sermon on the Mount brings to us this morning. And so as we press in on it, we're looking at verses 13 through 16 of Matthew 5. And here's what it says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, your light shines before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, with under that all understanding, all of that and what it is saying there, the one thing that we really have to understand and get a hold of is that there's not a specific type of person that God's after. Rather, the door seems to be wide open for all who would re believe and repent. For everybody who's willing to acknowledge that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the door is wide open for them. It's clear that Jesus is calling us to be in a place where salt is useful. And I don't know anybody who buys salt and then puts it in their little keepsake tote that they have up in their closet or in their attic. 
I don't know anybody who buys salt and then hides it away for 50 years and pulls it out later. Salt is to be used and it's, it's, it's a useful thing. Now, last week, I got a notification in the mail. And it was from a group of well-meaning people. I know they had my best intentions in their heart. But it was basically, um, we have got a spot reserved for you for your retirement. It was a Christian retirement community. Really? I'm starting to receive retirement notices? I'm, I'm, I know this for sure. I can't retire. I've got grandbabies on both coasts in this nation, and I've got to work to pay so Grandma can get to see her grandbabies. <laughs> but here's what they said. We have this place set up for you, this Christian community, where you can come and you can golf, and you can do crafts, and you can be in a Bible study, and you can worship with other Christians. And I was like, are you kidding me? I think that's the last group of people I want to spend my retirement with. <laughs> I really don't think that God had in mind retirement, at least the retirement where you take yourself and you hide behind in a gated community where only the good people get to come in and hang out and play golf. I really don't think that God has in mind for us to go to that kind of a place because I think that is exactly where you go to lose your saltiness. Jesus never called anyone to go and park their spiritual RV in a retirement park and coast into the kingdom of heaven. You won't find that anywhere in Scripture. Matter of fact, I hate to bust your bubble, but you will not even find the concept of retirement in the Bible. It's a man-made thing. That's why I'm going to work until I die. Not just because I have to, but because I want to. And that might be sooner than later. You never know. So let's go back and pick up on verse 13 again. You are the salt of the earth. Now, historically we would say that Jesus is speaking about both the individual person and the collective gathering of the church when he is referring to you. When he says you, he doesn't just mean the disciples sitting at his feet. He is talking future tense about everybody who would ever name him as Savior. So it's, it's not just us gathering together, but it's us individually as our, we live our lives. He is calling us to be salt. And in ancient days, salt was used as a preservative. Salt was used to bring out flavor of food. It was also used as a fertilizer to help the soil be more productive. It caused people to become thirsty. So then we, individually and collectively, being salt, are a preservative against moral decay. We are to be bringing the God flavor to our society. As fertilizer, we as the church, we create ground where spiritual growth can occur. And when people around us, when people see us, they become thirsty for the things of God. That's what it means to be the salt of the earth. But let me give you yet another idea, another concept about salt, because salt, I believe, is also breathing spiritually. Let me explain what I mean by that. The Holy Spirit 
grabs hold of our heart and begins to chisel and he begins to shape and mold us more and more over a period of time into the image of Christ. So we're not talking about integrity or character, but rather the root or the well that integrity and character come out of. So the Holy Spirit begins to work on the things in us, our soul, our spirit, transform in us, move in us, chisel at us, create in us so that we become the type of people that preserve against moral decay. We add flavor, uh, God flavor to life. We create places where people can grow spiritually and we cause people to be spiritually thirsty. And that transformation is the Holy Spirit working in us as we're submitting to His rule in our life. When that happens, that enables us to become the light of the world to those around us. Notice that this text starts by saying, you are the salt of the earth. And that becoming the salt of the earth then leads to becoming the light of the world. So what ends up happening to make us salty, if you will, is submission to the Holy Spirit's power and work in our lives to shape and mold us that leads, leads to transformation that then is attractive to the world around us. I, I just... It, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing to submit yourself to the rule and the work and the shaping of the Holy Spirit. If it was easy... Everybody would do it. If it was easy, we would have a whole different look about our church. If it was easy, our community would be one for Christ. But it's not easy. And so we get all kinds of admonition coming from Scripture, and one of them comes from the letter to the Colossians church that Paul wrote. He said, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious and, get this, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, we've been placed on earth at this time in this place to be salt to those who are far from God. We're called to go and make disciples. We are disciples who are making disciples. But in order for us to be engaged in the process with God, we must be salty And we must continue to strive for saltiness in our life. It's really funny, salty. It's a new phrase kids are using. I don't think they got it out of the Bible. I remember the first time I heard it. My college-aged son, I had two of them. He has really blonde, curly hair, married to Abby, and lives in Orlando, known as Tyson. And I was getting after him for some stuff that he was supposed to do. You know, it, there's, there's this thing that happens in a household. Um, and it kind of comes downhill. So Lorinda would say, would you please do thus and so and thus and so? And I say, of course I'll do that. But I didn't know she meant right now. She didn't say right now. You can't be subtle with men. You have to say I want you to do thus and so and thus and so right now. I waited like a day or two, and apparently that wasn't good. So I learned my lesson quickly, 
So when mom said to Tyson, here's, what, here's the things you need to do, and Tyson said, okay, and he wasn't doing them, I kind of got up in his face a little bit, up in his mud. I got in his grill. I said, what's going on? You need to be doing what your mom told you to do. And he goes, why are you getting so salty with me? I guess because I'm a salty dog. So there's a different phrase that kids are using today, but the biblical sense of salty is that, that we have this about us that we bring to our world. Now, let me tell you about one of the places where I spend a lot of my time thinking. I think about this probably more than I do. I, I want you to know there's a weight that I carry on my shoulders, and I'm not sure that the Lord really wants me to carry it, but somehow I do, because there, there is an enormous amount of weight that comes with standing up here and presenting the Word of God to you down there. There is a weightiness of that. If you've never done it, you don't know what it's like. You don't know the burden that you carry with it. It is an extraordinary privilege, but yet it is a big burden that you have to carry because you want to make sure that you're dividing the Word of God correctly. You don't want to be telling people something that isn't really true. So we have this burden, pastors have this burden about that. The other burden that I carry is all of you. I carry you on my back. Look at your neighbor and go, way to be a burden to the pastor. Um, but that, that may not be necessarily what I should be doing because I don't think that is. But one of the things that I do think about quite often in my office when I'm thinking about stuff, um, I'm not really sleeping, I'm really thinking, um, it's whether we or not we know our message. And I don't mean the message that Wind River Community Church has, you know, our uh, vision or mission statement. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm talking about the gospel message of Jesus. I know we know pieces of it. I know that we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and those who believe in him will go to heaven. I know we know that piece about it, but I'm wondering if on a whole we understand the entirety of the gospel message, if we understand the kingdom of God, because it, it seems to be an undue, unhealthy passion for information and knowledge and little to no passion or zeal for transformation. So in the end, what we've got is we've got belief down really well. We know what we believe, but we've, we haven't been changed by our beliefs. In fact, it seems like there's a mountain of sermons and resources and programs that are meant to increase our knowledge, but there's no accountability or structure of authority that enables us to apply the information that we've gained. So in the end, we become masters of information, but not necessarily masters of life. And so what's occurred on the whole is that we can confess and cry out the things that we believe, but very Few of us operate in those things at all. Very few of us. Now, I know that some of you are probably thinking right now, and you might even say, well, that's just not true. We have Jesus, so we're way better off than those who don't have Jesus. But the truth is, 
We don't do any better when it, when it comes to important things. We don't do any better when it comes to marriage. We don't do any better when it comes to debt. We don't do any better when it comes to conflict. We don't do any better when it comes to getting stuck in consumerism. We don't do any better when it comes to lust, pornography, or any of those things. Those things are pervasive, as pervasive of an issue in the walls of the church as they are outside of the church. And despite the fact that the whole church across the country would agree belief-wise, we believe these things, we're not the ones who are stepping up and living those things we say we believe. Why is this such a big deal? Well, let's go to the text. And some of you are going like, really? We have to go back to the text? Well, that's where it comes from. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. So if you've got a problem with it, talk to Jesus. I'm just the mess. Don't shoot the messenger. Okay? It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It no, it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now listen to what the scripture just said to us. He said, Jesus just said, to believe but not to practice is worthless. To believe and not practice is worthless. And I mean it's worthless. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we have lost our saltiness. Let me give you an example of that. I grew up on the West Coast in Oregon. Some of you are thinking, well, it's all making sense now. When I was in elementary school, here's how every morning at school began. We stood up, we found the the flag, and we said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God. I'm stopping right there. I'm not going to finish it. Do you hear that? One nation under God. That was the pledge that I made every morning that we were under God as a nation, as a kid growing up in elementary school. At lunchtime, my teacher would have us stand up, line against the wall. She'd stand at the door that would lead out to the hallway, and she would say, fold your hands, bow your heads, and close your eyes, because we are going to give thanks for our lunch. Do any of you remember that stuff? Yeah, it's not, I'm not that old, and it's not that long ago. But let me explain to you what has happened here. For the last thousand years, the church's role in society has been called Christendom. And what this means is, is that the institutions within our organizations taught the virtues of Christ. They taught them in schools. They taught them in colleges. They taught them in all of our institutions. But guess what? Christendom is dead. It's over. And the reason why it's over is because the church has lost her place in culture. The salt has lost its saltiness because we believe, but we're not different. So what's left except for us to be trampled underfoot? Because there's no difference. We have nothing to point to. Our culture is looking at us as just another religious group of people. All we are is a religion. That's what they think about us. 
They think we're the Christian religion, and then there's the, the Muslim religion, and there's the Buddhist religion, and you could go on and name all the religions in the world, and they lump us all together as people who need a crutch in their life to get along with life. And the reason that is is because we have lost our saltiness. We can't say anymore, look, marriages work best when you follow what the Bible says. Because all you have to do is submit. You love each other like this. The man loves his wife like Christ loves the church. The woman respects her husband. See, it works. Instead, we're saying divorce is a sin. You shouldn't do that, yet we have divorce everywhere. We're saying lust will eat your mind. It will make you look at a woman. It will make you look at a man as an object. Then you'll have a soulless sex that brings no real gratification, no real depth. And then not on top of that, our pastors in this nation are getting busted over the same kind of things that are going on within the walls of the church and on the outside of the walls. You see, we, as the church collectively, we have lost our saltiness. We believe, but we have not been transformed. And guess what that gives us? It gives us the place of being fools. Because that's what the world looks at us and says. These guys believe a whole bunch of stuff that they never practice, they never do, they never live up to it. Do you know that's the number one reason why people out in the world say, why would I go to church? The church is just filled with? You've all heard it before. It's not something new. There's a reason why the church is being called filled with hypocrites. It's because we have lost our place in society, we no longer bring God flavor to it. We are no longer the ones who are holding together morality. We are no longer the ones that are making people thirsty for God. We've lost our place in this world. There are a few reasons I believe we, um, that I believe the church is behind losing her salty influence in the world. Number one, I think there's an undue emphasis placed on width rather than on depth. And let me say it this way. I'm not talking about numbers. There's been an ex excessive emphasis on numbers. I mean, people talk about the mega church is really bad. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to see... Um, uh, one of the mega churches, probably the biggest and fastest growing church in the United States is called Life Church. Go and look it up online, lifechurch.com. Craig Groeschel is the lead pastor. They have 30 campuses around the nation. Last weekend, last weekend they had 1,800 people come to faith in their 30 campuses. 1,800 people said yes to Jesus and no to sin last weekend. I'm so thankful for a church like that. Now, as pointed out, as I was talking to a couple of the fellows this morning, it is a church of 90,000 people in those 30 campuses. But I'm just telling you right now, they are preaching the message of Jesus and lives are being transformed. They're being changed. And so the first thing, and so I'm not talking about numbers like that. What I am saying is I think there's been an undue emphasis placed on the amount of information versus the amount of emphasis placed on you actually doing what you know. You know a whole lot more than what you're doing. 
And that's where I think we as a church have failed you. Church leadership has failed its people because we have not given you, we've just given you information. We're teaching you information. But few of the churches out there are actually built to help you do what you've been taught. And so just by giving you information, we're not helping you at all. Instead, we're filling your your minds with all this knowledge, but giving you false hope of a changed life because we haven't set up anything and says, this is how you live your life. We just give you the information. We're hoping that you'll cross the, the T and dot the I yourself. And I think we have to stop doing that. So we have to stop throwing information at you. What it really takes is good old obedience and spiritual discipline. That's one. Let me tell you, too, I think the second problem has been that this is not, and and this isn't just with evangelicals or Christians. It's pretty much our whole country. I think there's been an absolute disintegration of genuine, real community. We've lost our desire and ability to connect with others. We get home from work, whatever night of the week it is, we get home from work and we say, I'm so tired. And then we plop down in front of the television and we fall asleep in front of it. And then all of a sudden something happens, something comes up loud and we wake up, we get up, we go to bed and we start the next day all over again just to repeat. And that's our life. We don't connect with other people. The problem is is that we know community is good and healthy, and we may even have a few friends that we call our community, but if that community is only the people that we attend church with, with, if it's only the people we have small group with, then there's no reason for us to be salty. If you're just hanging around with other people who already know the truth and the way, there's no reason to be salty at all. But then on the other side, if all we do is hang out with unchurched friends, but we never step into a conversation about Jesus with them, then again, there's no reason for saltiness in your life. We have lost our salt. But we also do need church community. Don't get me wrong. Don't abandon the church. You need them and they need you. Because... When we're in real community with other disciples, there is a depth of relationship that we will have with people as we come alongside of them. We will be the one that comes along and we recognize because we've been in their lives, we understand who they are, we put our arm around them and we say, I just want to give you a bit of word of encouragement today. It looks like you're a little bit down. And we bring the word of God to bear in their life, to to bolster their soul and help them. And then there's our, then we have such deep relationships with other people that we walk up beside them. We, we say, you know what? You need to bend over because I'm going to swatch your fanny right now because what you're doing is going against God's word. That's called a rebuke. We need that type of community and that type of relationship that we can be encouraged when we're weak. And we're not even strong enough to confess that we're weak, but people who know us well enough, see what we need and they come and they give it to us. And we need the kind of community that can support a good spiritual spanking that we all need often. But the truth is, is that few of us have found that kind of love in a church setting. And I don't think it's just the church's fault, which leads me to our next problem. 
not only has there been an undue emphasis put on, on the width over the depth and the disintegration of community, but I also think that there is a lack of submission to authority. And what I mean by that is the church has been created by God to be the place where those who are spiritually strong care for, love on, encourage, rebuke the spiritually weak. And that's what happens in our consumer... Here's, and, and what happens in our consumer, consumeristic society is that it's not about growing deep anymore. It's about how I feel. So people are coming to church because they want to be entertained. They're coming to church because the band rocks. They're awesome, especially the bass player. <laughs> TB player. But that's what people are doing. They've made a decision now that they want to come to church because that's where they can come and they can have all these things taking place in their life and it just makes them feel really good. So what's happening on a massive scale is people aren't joining churches. They're not submitting to any kind of real authority, but instead they're just coming for their own agenda, their own ego, their own need of attention. And they're just going to places to be entertained rather than being transformed. That's what happens when a church loses its saltiness. The reason that the church has lost her ability to make any kind of influence on our culture and communities is that we give away too much information that we don't do application with that leads to transformation. We only live in community that makes us feel good either in church or outside of church, but we don't have to be salty in either place. And finally, we don't submit to the authority that God has placed over us. And if we're not going to submit to the human authority that God has placed over us in our lives, we will never submit to the authority of God. It just isn't going to happen. I believe the reason Jesus said that we are to be salt of the earth before he said we are to be the light of the world is that you cannot be the light of the world until you're salty. Being salty means that we're being obedient to the things that Jesus taught. It means that we have passion and desire for the things of God. It means that we will do whatever it takes to feed our souls with his word. It means that we will find places that we will participate in bringing up there, down here. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The only way that we will be the light of the world is to walk in harmony with Jesus, not just when it's convenient or when it's suitable to our schedule, but we will make room for the Holy Spirit to transform our lives, even when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable. The enemy of our soul is out to rob, kill, and destroy everything that is of God. He will do whatever he can do to keep those who are far from God um, from knowing Jesus. Those who are not in relationship with Jesus are blinded to the reality of who Jesus is. And that's what Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthian church. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That 
is why it's so important for us as individuals and a collective gathering of disciples to continually be transformed by God so that we continue to be the salt of the earth so that the light of Jesus shines through us as the light of the world so that they, those who are lost, walking in darkness, might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. My heart aches because I want to see new birth. I want to see people's lives transformed. I want to see people's lives radically changed by the gospel of Jesus. You know, I was talking 1,800 people on one weekend. You know what I'd love to see? I would love to see one transformed life a week. One a week to start with. Maybe my faith isn't big, but it's like a mustard seed. And I want to trust God for one new faith in Christ a week. That means 54 a year. That means you're going to have to get busy and disciple these folks. That means we're going to have to start more small groups. That means you're going to have to show up to the Monday afternoon women's prayer time or the Tuesday noon prayer time. That means when we call for a gathering of God's people to come together for a prayer night on a Sunday or Monday night, that we gather together, we lift our voices in adoration of who God is and what He will do as we pray, and we will see this town transformed for the kingdom of God. That's what that means. Because they're blinded by the God of this world. And it's important for us to step into that. I want you to know something about me. I'm going to make a little bit of a confession here. The longer I've been on this planet Earth, the longer I've been walking in relationship with Jesus, the more salty and light-giving I thought I would be. But what I have discovered is that the longer I'm here, the more my my tendency is to put roots into things that are of this world. And I know that that's not what God is calling me to. I know that God is calling me to do something other than that. I know that there's a reality that that God wants to come and to help me do more than just maintain my saltiness. That's what I've been doing. I'm a maintenance guy right now in my salty little world. And I really need to continue to grow and be transformed by God. My thoughts are the same as the Apostle Paul. Here's what he said about himself, and I say it about me. For I don't understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's my heart, man. That's where I'm at. My sin is simple. Here it is. I'm not doing the good I know I should do. I believe it was James that said that. To those who know to do good and don't do it, to them it is sin. I've sinned. 
But the, you know what the good news is? I've confessed that sin to God, and He's forgiven me. I'm confessing my sin to you, and you'll forgive me. Right? Just say, you're forgiven. Oh, man. You guys are giving me a heart attack up here. Sheesh. So, you might be feeling a little bit like me this morning. You might feel that you're not quite as salty as you know you should be. You know that you're not quite as bright as you should be. And so you need just a little push to get you back to the place where you know you're doing the things that make you the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It means putting yourself in places where you can grow where you are hearing what the Holy Spirit has to say to you and places where transformation can take place. There's a word that we need as the church to add to our vocabulary, and it is intentional. We need to be intentional about letting God's word teach us and transform us. It means that you just don't go about life you, where you read a verse someone posted on Facebook and you call that your Bible reading for the day. It means you create the discipline of intentionally reading the Bible with the idea of applying what it says to your everyday life. When we find, or rather, we make time to pray, not for stuff. You can pray for stuff all the time. But collectively coming together and praying for the lives of people in our community, in both of our communities, in our church community, and in our out there community. They need prayer. Their lives need to be changed by Jesus. Those are the things that I'm doing. I'm being intentional about filling my mind with God's word. I'm being intentional intentional about connecting with others to pray for Lander and the moving of the Holy Spirit. I am praying for the family, the Wind River Community Church family. The Holy Spirit will empower you to be salt and light where you live, where you work, where you play. I don't know. I may be the only one. I'm sure I'm not. Usually if you voice your sin, if you voice, and that's what it is. When we neglect to do the things that God calls us to do, it, hey, don't, don't sugarcoat it. Let's just call it what it is. It's sin. I've sinned. I have sinned against God. I have sinned against you. I've sinned against my family. And I've confessed. I've repented. And I'm moving forward. I am going to actually let God transform my life. I'm going to put my, myself in a place where I'm applying God's word to my everyday life. And you may need the same thing. So, here's what it says in Philippians. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That's God's call to us this morning. Now listen, 
the worship team's going to make their way up here. And we're going to start singing songs. These songs are to be reflective of our heart. We need to think about what we're singing. And if somehow this morning the Spirit of God has nudged you and you got the word this morning, I'm not salty enough. I'm not being light. And I need to repent of that. I need to change things. I want you to know to come up here. You come up here. We're not going to have the elders come and pray with you. You don't need that. You need to come and do business with God. And and by doing that, you're saying publicly, you know what? I'm confessing my sin before God today, and the rest of you get to hold me accountable. If God's moved in your heart like that this morning, I just want you to come up, take time, and confess your sin, ask God to forgive you, ask God to get you on the right path, get you in the right direction, help you to start moving. If you're having difficulty and you don't know what to do and how to go there, I have got some of these things. They're called Life Journal. They help you to do life. And if you don't have one of these, and you're, this is just a tool. There's nothing magic about this. It's just a tool. I'm going to give this to you. You want it? All you have to do is come and get it. And if these are all gone and you want one and there's none there, say, Pastor Ken, I need a life journal. I'll give it to you. I've got more. And if we run out, praise Jesus, we'll buy more and we'll give them to you. Because we want to help you apply God's word to your life. Father, Oh, we thank you that you've called us to be salt. You've called us to be a salty bunch of people who have an influence on our community. And we confess right now, as a group of people, we have lost our saltiness. We have lost our desire for being salty in the world. We have taken the light and we've put it under a basket. And we're up here on the hill and we should be a beacon of light to all those downtown in in Lander, God. In our... In our little community, Dylan up here, that we would shine bright, that we would cause people to be thirsty for the things of God, that we would start to be the salt of the earth in this community, and we would see men, women, and children having their lives completely, radically transformed by the work of your Holy Spirit in them as they come to faith. God, don't don't let us walk out of here without applying it to our lives. Don't let this be another message of information. Let it be transformation of our soul. As you move in our hearts, let us come. Let us confess our sin. Let us move forward with you so we can reach our world, our lander for you by being salt and light. We pray all these things in Jesus' great name. Amen.